Good morning. All right, we worshipers out the door. Time to grab your copy of the scripture. Everybody go like this. Okay, I know you're like, that's the old spider in the mirror doing push-ups thing. No, we're just, we're stretching out our fingers because we're going to do a little bit of systematic theology today. It is systematic in that we are going to go through the teachings in the New Testament of the, the enemy, the one that opposes, my friends. Indeed, it has been said we're going to talk about Satan today, and I want to tell you up front, kind of a little bit of a spoiler here. The purpose of this conversation, this study here, is not to frighten you, but to build your faith in the God who is victorious. So friends, I want to encourage you to uh, uh, take your copy of the Scriptures, get ready to turn. Well, as you may or may not know yet, surprise, it's October. Yeah, summer is gone. See, frightening, I'm telling you. Snow is coming. And uh, seeing as how it is October, the year, uh, the, the month of all spooky things with children, uh, I thought it would be wise of us maybe to spend some time talking about the scary things of Scripture and why you have no need to be afraid. And I know you're thinking along with my uh, oldest daughter that uh, uh, in light of October, I've dressed up like a uh, candy, uh, what do they call those, candy corns, you know, She's, it was not intentional, believe me. <sighs> but friends, really, this is all about building our faith. When we know the truth, the truth will indeed set us free from our fears here today. So I want to encourage you here to uh, buckle up. I want to warn you that you will see some disturbing images here today. You know, the, the point, again, is not to uh, novelty throw things at you, but we have some very, very important lessons here today. What we're going to do is we're going to look at a video here that, that just captures this whole idea. This uh, video is from a commercial in New Zealand. And uh, just to set up the context a little bit, the context is apparently there are multiple uh, uh, energy providers in New Zealand, and uh, because there are there is multiple competition, there are people going door to door trying to sign up people to join this particular energy group. All right, now one uh, particular energy provider called Online Energy is uh, is uh, saying, "Look, you don't need people at your door. You can sign up." online, and here's what to do the next time they come a-knocking. Children! Children! Stop touching my knocker! Hi! Hi! What can I do for you? I'm here to save you money on power today, sir. Are you interested? I am not! I'm staying. Turn around and walk away! We have a deal today! Remove yourself from my veranda! Who's in charge of the house? I'm in charge of the house! Why would you think otherwise? Um, you're a door knocker. Walk away! Remove yourself, puny mortal! Away with you and your blasted clipboard! Leave now and forever! Move! Walk on! That is exactly the response I think they were looking for. 
and ridiculous. Although, I want to see a show of hands all the men here today were thinking, how could I do that in my front door? Come on, there they are. In every group of people, that's what's going on. You know, and the reason I show that is, is simply to show you this, that fear is a powerful tool. It is a tool to distract us from what we ought to be about. So we're going to talk about some scary things here today. And today as we begin this, uh, this series on the scary things of Scripture here, we're going to focus on the, the, the top of the list here, Satan, okay? But I want to tell you the lesson is all about this right here. Have no fear, for when you trust in God, there is nothing to fear. I want to say that just one more time, or maybe a few more times for those people who aren't paying attention. When you are trusting in God, you have nothing, nothing at all to fear. Well, if we're going to talk about Satan, the first place to start is to talk about angels. Talking about angels. And if we're going to talk about angels, we've got to talk about the origin of angels. And if you're saying this doesn't make any sense, we'll tie it all together a little bit later here. But we're talking about the origin of angels. And uh, when we talk about angels, we certainly must understand that angels, like everything else that exists other than God, were created by God. So the origin of angels begins with being created by God. Now the question might pop up, well, at what point were they created? And uh, for that kind of insight, you could turn with me to Job chapter 38. Job chapter 38. Job, wow, what a book. Chapter 38, we're going to jump in at verse 1. And we're going to discover that angels were created sometime before the heavens and the earth. Notice, if you will, Job 38, verse 1. We find this. Then the Lord answered Job. And remember, some wicked, horrible things have happened to Job. We remember this. He lost his property, he lost his children, all kinds of things, all in an experiment to see whether a man would worship God even if he allowed everything to be taken away. But Job had some questions for God, and here is God answering him. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that dark, darkens counsel by words without knowledge? And he looks at, uh, pointing his finger at Job, as it were, and says, dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Goes right back to creation. So he says, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. All of these said with sarcasm to Job who feels that he has ought to stand up and question God. He says, tell me if you have understanding. Look at verse 5. Who determined its measurement? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? And then here we want to make special note of verse 7. When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Now these uh, references of the sons of God certainly are referencing angels. The morning stars and the, the sons of God, references to angels who are there cheering and praising God 
when God is laying the foundations of this planet. So somewhere before the creation of this earth, angels were created by God. And it makes sense because angels are in so many ways like the cheerleaders of heaven. They see whatever it is that God does, and they worship him, and they rejoice him, and they cry out, holy, holy, holy. And they are praising God from morning to night with no rest, my friends. They are the cheerleaders of heaven, and as God lays the foundation of creation, they are there. We could go a little deeper and talk about maybe it happened between Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. And if you want to talk about that, come and see me. But we know, at least as a timeline, they were created by God before the foundation of the world. And you know what else we know about angels? When God made them, they were all good. And how do I know that? Because in Genesis chapter 1 and 31, after the sixth day of creation... Genesis 1 and 31 says this, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good, just as we would expect God to make. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. And so these angels are created by God. They were created good And they were created for this purpose to serve. The purpose of God creating these angels is to serve. Now, how do we know that? In Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 14, if you know the book of Hebrews, you know that uh, the book of Hebrews is written to a group of Jewish Christians who are going through some severe persecutions, and they are tempted to go back to go back where it is easy, to go back where people aren't pointing and putting a target on your back. And the book of Hebrews is a letter written to them comparing Jesus to the old system, and that contrast begins with angels. Yeah, God used angels to deliver the law. But here in this, this, this contrast, the writer here says in verse 14, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? And we'll be looking at that, uh, that definition given to us of their purposes. It is to minister. It is to serve. Now, even looking at the name angel, and I even wrote it out for Greek for you there so you'd know for sure what I was talking about. The word is angelos. The New Testament, the Greek name for angel is angelos. And the word literally means messenger. And who is a messenger? A messenger is someone who is sent to deliver a message. These people are these creations are servants of God. They serve Him by worshiping. They serve Him by protecting those who have been chosen for salvation, those who would inherit it. And so they are created good, but they are created to serve. Now, we talked about the origin of these angels. Now, let's talk about the nature of angels. I mean, what is an angel anyway? That's a great question, isn't it? Well, I could tell you this. First off, we got to check this one off and get rid of it real quick. Angels are not glorified human beings. You don't die and then become an angel. 
Just not how it works, friends. Remember, they were created before uh, you and the, the, the place that we live was even on the radar. Angels are not glorified human beings. But as we found in Hebrews 1.14, they are spirits. They are incorporeal. They don't have bodies. And yet, while we uh, read through the uh, Older Testament, we don't have to get far before we see angels appearing and appearing as men. I challenge you to go through the Scripture and find an angel that comes in the form of a woman. doesn't happen. doesn't happen. Even the very name, Angelos, in the uh, Greek is, is, is masculine. The gender is masculine, always in the form of men. Jesus, when he was teaching about marriage, says that, that uh, you know, the question is, you know, say you've got a few wives on earth, well, who are you married to in heaven? He says, you, you know, you ask that question because you don't know the Scripture. In heaven, we are like the angels who are neither given in marriage or are married. They don't marry. You know Why? Because they're all male. Males don't marry. Didn't see that one coming, did you? And there it is all the way through Scripture. So they are not glorified human beings. They are spirits. And they are a company, not a race. They are a company. A race comes through reproduction. But as we just mentioned, angels don't reproduce. All of them were created at once by God, and that's all that exists. There are no more angels coming, so they are a company, not a race. And you know what else? They are immortal. They are immortal. Now, here's just a little bit of the, the span of the life of an angel here, okay? I mean, just a, just a glimpse. In the book of Daniel, God sends the angel Gabriel to him to deliver a message and an understanding of a dream that God had given to him. And then 500 years later, God sent Gabriel to talk to Zacharias about the birth of his coming son, John the Baptist, as he would be known. And so they, they since the point of their creation, they live on even to this point. They are not immortal, you know, they are, they are, they, they, I mean, they are not eternal. Eternal means you have no beginning and no end. Now, angels clearly have a beginning, but at this point, there is no end. You and I, by the way, have the same thing. We have a beginning, but we don't have an end. We will live forever somewhere, somewhere. And they are superior to man. Did you know that? Well, you made us a little lower than the angels. They are superior. In what way are they superior? They are superior in knowledge, but they are not omniscient. Now, this is important because eventually you're going to connect the dots and you're going to say, wait a minute, demons are fallen angels. So it's important that we understand about angels because the same truth will be that of demons as well. They are not omniscient. They do not know everything. They cannot read your mind. They do not know what you think. What they can do, of course, is uh, be masters at observation to know how you act and to know your weaknesses. But they are, are not omniscient, and yet their knowledge is great. They are, uh, they, they are superior to man in strength, but not omnipotent. They don't have all power. You know, in the, uh, again, the, the book of Daniel in chapter 10 
You know, God uh, uh, sends uh, his, uh, his angel to, uh, to deliver that message to Daniel, and, and he's delayed because apparently there was a demon fighting against. And so they are not omnipotent. There is a struggle that takes place. But they are superior to man in these ways, in these ways only. Well, we've learned something uh, kind of a quick, wow, slow down, pal. We're trying to keep up. Everybody's going, I'll just take a pause here. Go ahead and relax. Come on, stretch. Get those arms up there. Ah, feeling better? Yeah, expand your chest cavity so your lungs can expand. All right, the truth about angels. Do we have guardian angels? The answer is yes. Does everyone have an angel assigned to them? I don't see that in the scripture, friends. So stop pinning guardian angel pins all over the place. How about this? Don't trust angels anyways. Trust the God who loves you, the God who knows you, the God who sends his angels as servants to us. So friends, trust God, not angels. Angels are really great, and, and, and they are very mighty. And remember, every time in the New Testament an angel appears, what's the first thing out of their mouth? Don't be afraid. Because people are terrified of these angels. They are amazing in their appearance and mighty, no doubt. Because God didn't make weak stuff to do his job. Well, in talking about angels now, we've got to talk about the most famous of all, perhaps, and that is Satan. Ooh, scary. Exactly. This is the most ridiculous picture that I could possibly find of what people think about Satan. It is more likely that Satan would appear as a doctrine of divinity teaching about why we shouldn't believe in Satan than that. That's not what God makes, friends. When Satan appears, he appears as an angel of light. Friends, it is not his scary looks that we are concerned about. Watch this. See that? Did that scare you? (laughs) Okay? That's not scary. Okay, how about we check that one off the box? Little movie makers, and I'll tell you, fear, fear has, you know, fear has some positives to it. Have you ever been home alone, like the family is off traveling and you're just lonely? Here's a secret that I learned as a child. Watch a really scary movie and you'll never feel alone the rest of the night. (laughs) What was that? I heard something. (sighs) It's true. Well, let's talk about Satan. Let's, let's talk about the adversary. Let's know the truth so the truth can set us free from fear. Well, let's, uh, let's uh, follow the same pattern we did with angels. Let's talk about his origin. Did you know that we have chapters in the Scripture that uh, so many people, almost unanimous probably, that uh, believe that we have some passages that tell us about Satan early on? If you have your copy of the Scriptures, I want to encourage you to turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 28. Ezekiel chapter 28. Ezekiel. And we're going to jump in at verse 11. Verse 11. Ezekiel 28, 
and verse 11. Candy corn. <laughs> Ezekiel 28, verse 11, notice this. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord God. Now that you say, this isn't to Satan, this is about the king of Tyre. There are some things in here that cannot be true of the king of Tyre, but can only be true of Satan. You watch. We're going to start. You're going to go, oh yeah, that's what he's talking about. It's almost immediate. Thus says the Lord God, you are the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. That wasn't really that picture, was it? Perfect, full of beauty, perfect in beauty. Look at verse 13. You were in Eden. Yeah, we all remember that story, remember? You were in Eden, the garden of God, and every precious stone was your covering. Sardis and topaz, a diamond and beryl and onyx and jasper and sapphire and emerald, and carbuncle, crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. And on the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. And he was placed in charge of all of them. These are the people standing around the throne worshiping God day after day after day. Hmm. Anointed the guardian cherub, I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God in the midst of the stones of fire you walked. And you were blameless in all your ways. From the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God. And I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. And I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes. By the multitude of your iniquities and unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. So I brought fire out from your midst, and it consumed you. And this is a story of wonder. How could God make this angel, defined by its beauty and wisdom, fall? And that's a great question, isn't it? I mean, how could God make something good ultimately turn bad, turn evil? Well, we talked about his origin. Let's talk about his fall. Remember this? Told you. Isaiah 20, or Isaiah 14. Turn with me to Isaiah 14, where we get a glimpse of the reason for his fall. We see that he was created with wisdom and beauty and placed in charge of the cherubim, the worshiping angels. So how did he fall? In Isaiah chapter 14, notice verse 12. How you were fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, and here it was, this is where it began. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. 
Above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assemblies in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. He wanted to be God. It wasn't enough to serve God. He wanted to be God. But you were brought down to Sheol to the far reaches of the pit. So when we think of Satan, we ought not to have in our mind the squirrely little pictures with the ram horn and the sharp teeth. Certainly we ought not to have the little picture of the little devil horn on the deviled ham, if anybody remembers that. They had the little devil with the little pitchfork and the tail, like he was some little comic. Satan is not to be trifled with, my friends, but nor is he to be feared. Certainly by not, by, not by the children of the king. Friends, we trust in God. What have we to fear? What have we to fear? Is God not able to care for you? Is God not enough in whatever circumstance you find yourself? Heard this as a kid, said the robin to the sparrow, Friend, I'd really like to know why those restless human beings rush around and hurry so. Said the robin to the sparrow, Friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. Why should we act like God is not enough when we confess with our mouth that he is? You have nothing to be afraid of when you're trusting in God. Nothing. Nothing. We talked about his origin, his fall. Let's talk about his power. And to do that, I think we should jump back to the book of Job. Did you keep your pinky there just to go back and read a little bit more later? When we go back to Job, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna look at it from the perspective of Satan here. But I want you to notice here in chapter 1 of Job, in verse 6, we're going to see that while Satan is powerful, his power is severely limited. Now there was a day, chapter 1, verse 6, when the sons of God, remember that word from chapter 38, the sons of God, those are angels, my friends, when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. And here we have a picture of Satan reporting to God. And friends, it is essential that we always understand this truth. Satan, the opposite of Satan is not Jesus. When we think of this battle, we think it's Jesus and Satan in the octagon, and they're going at it. No, friends, Jesus is God. Jesus snaps his finger, and Satan better be there. And that's the picture we have here in the Scripture. Satan can't act at all without the permission of God. Do not ever, ever, ever forget that. So here is this day when the sons of God, angels, came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? As if he didn't already know. Satan answered the Lord and said, 
from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down it. The very same picture that Peter gives us. Satan like a roaring, prowling lion going to and fro seeking whom he might devour. The Lord said, have you considered my servant Job? Now, if I'm Job, I'm like, no, don't bring me up, not me. But the fact that God brought him up says, there's something different about this guy that I want everyone to know about. So you've been walking around looking for trouble. How about this guy named Job? Have you considered him my servant? There is none like him on the earth, a blameless, an upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. By the way, this is the theme of the Scripture, to choose the good over the evil. When you choose the good, you turn your back from the evil, and here is a man that was doing it right. Hmm. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has? I mean, you've got this really fine bush all the way. He's talking about a hedge of protection here. He's talking about that, that, that you have put some great things in his life and you have only kept him safe. He's in the incubator of your hand. What does he have to fear? But stretch out your hand, verse 11, and touch all that he has, and he'll curse you to your face. Friend, this is a personal challenge, is it not? If God were to take away everything you have, think for a moment what the results would be. I mean, where would you go? I mean, things you never thought about before suddenly are on the forefront of your mind. He says, take that stuff away and then see what song he's singing. (laughs) But stretch out your hand, he says. Touch all that he has and he will curse you to his face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand. Because it wasn't before. He couldn't touch it without the permission of God. Do you understand that, child of God? You cannot be touched without God withholding his hand. You say, well, what did this guy do wrong that God is willing to do that? And thus is the purpose of our lives to bring glory to God, even at the cost of your comfort, my friends. And so here we have it. (laughs) Stretch out your hand and touch all that he has. He will curse you, he says. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Verse 13, now there was, there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them and them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword and I alone have escaped to tell you. And his children are gone. His children are gone. And while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, 
The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. It seems at this point that Satan has the opportunity to direct armies. The ability to bring fire down from heaven. And now look here in verse 17. And while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck them down, the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. We've got a theme going on here. And while he was yet speaking, there came another. Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell upon the young people, and they are dead. Friend, that's, that's a bad day right there. That's a bad day. Satan has some power. But only by permission of God. And by the way, let's see the rest of the story here. Then Job, verse 20, arose. He tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. Right now you'd say, yeah, but the text says something different, but it doesn't. The very day that everything was taken from him, he humbled himself and worshipped God. And this is what he said. This is the tune on his voice. Naked I came into my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and I didn't complain about it. And the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with a wrong. And it didn't even end there. Because Satan looked at it and said, skin for skin. You take away his health, you make a miserable day in and day out, then he will curse you to his face. But Job did not. Satan is powerful, friends. Let us us not escape this thinking somehow that he's just a made-up story. But let us never, ever forget in all of the power he has that was given to him by God cannot be enacted without permission from God. Remember when Paul said our enemy is not against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers, dominions? That's what he's talking about. Hmm. So what power does Satan have Well, in the study of this passage, I see he's got the power of death by means of others, wars, destruction by means of fire and windstorms, and let's not forget his favorite scheme, deception, which is really what we want to dispel here today, friends. Look, he he didn't come into the garden and slaughter Adam and Eve, didn't have permission, All he could do is tell them a lie and see if they'd believe it. And they did. The greatest scheme that the evil one will ever use in your life is to tell you a lie and see if you'll buy it. You got to be aware of it, friends. 
Know the truth, live the truth, and you will never be dissuaded by a lie. And while we're talking about Satan, let's not forget his destiny. In Matthew chapter 25 and verse 41, this is what Jesus says. He's talking about a day of judgment that will come. He's talking about sheep on his right side and goats on the left. The sheep are those who have put their faith in him and have lived it out. It's marked by their visiting the sick in the hospital and those who have been imprisoned and those who offer a cup of cold water in his name. Now, the other bums, they just did whatever they wanted. This is how he ends that teaching. He says here, then I will say to those on, the, on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels the demons. One day. And friends, if you know it, they know it. The teaching is clear, friends. We have nothing to fear if we trust in God. We know the truth. The truth is that if God were perchance to say, let sickness come into their life, it would be for His glory. And if it's for His glory, friends, it is for our good. Not all sickness is of the evil one. Sometimes you just didn't get a flu shot, and you should have. I got one. (laughs) I get sick of being sick. All kinds of reasons that things come in our life, but our response ought always be the same to God. This is not your fault, and God, you deserve the glory for it. We came in with nothing. We're going to leave that way. Let's not get used to what happens in between. His destiny. Well, how about some Bible to go? Let's remember the teaching of uh, John. In 1 John, he teaches us, Beloved, don't believe every spirit. Test the spirits. By this you know that the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus is the Christ, has come. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And then here... This wonderful reminder that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. I wonder if you had a big brother. Did you have a big brother? Did your dad take you places? Scary things all around, but you had nothing to fear because of who is with you. That is the reality that we are living in. When your trust is in God, you have nothing to fear. Friends, I want you to be thinking about that tonight when you're putting your head on your pillow and you saw that shadow at the corner of your eye. Pastor friend, I may have told you this story before. Pastor Gilbert, I was new in ministry and he kind of took me along and became my friend and walked with me through new decisions, new opportunities, and new responsibilities. And he lived in this Catholic church monastery that had been transformed into a church worship center, and they had an apartment in this building. And he and his wife would be watching TV at night, and they had these French doors into their living room. And sometimes all night long, the handles would go down and up and down and up, and there's nobody there, just demons. 
And you know what they do? They go back to watching their movie. And you know how they can do that? Because they knew the truth. The only effective weapon they have is telling a lie and hoping you'll believe it. Friends, know the truth and live it out and experience the freedom that God has given us.